This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, it's a rewind episode of The Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, or like the basement's AC repair guy likes to call me, the Fintern. Woo! Summer's in full swing here, and of course, that's when mom's AC decides to go on the fritz. You can smell the summer heat down here during cleanup week, and it's not tulips and daisies, folks. Think more musk, sweat, and stale air, and you get the picture. Isn't there some rule about not having to work in an oppressive workplace? I can't speak too much on that, but if your office does smell like musk and sweat and you don't work in a basement, I know just the thing to help you network and find the career you love. For our first Rewind of the Week, I'm turning back the clock to our time with Catherine Minshew and Alex Kavalakis. They're the founders of huge career site, TheMuse.com, and they shared some often referenced tips on the new rules of business, networking, and working more effectively at the job you already have. Want to make more money? Be better at your job by listening to today's show. This episode is from 2017, so while the career advice is as fresh as Joe's mom's banana bread, any investment discussions or giveaways are not. Enjoy, Fintern out. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. So you're going to quit? Nuh-uh. I'm just going to stop going. So are you going to get another job? I don't think I'd like another job. from Joe's mom's basement hits the stacking Benjamin show I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug and I gotta say work can be frustrating sometimes can it on most days dealing with your boss and co-workers is like wetting your pants in a dark suit you'll get a nice warm feeling but nobody else notices but not here in the basement, because on today's show, we're sharing the new rules of work with the founders of TheMuse.com, Catherine Minshew and Alex Kavalakos. Also, helping us with tax-related headlines from M1 Finance, Brian Barnes. You kids know we're working hard at bringing it, so we'll throw in more headlines, answer your letters, take a call from the Haven Lifeline, and even deliver some ice-cold trivia. But let's kick it off by introducing two guys who are celebrating Hump Day, Hump Day, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Oh, 
that joke ever get old? It does not. It does kind of feel like a nice break in the middle of the week to like recognize that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It's Wednesday. <laughs> Two more of these days. <laughs> We're halfway there. Live it on a prayer, right? Hey, everybody. I am Joe Solcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Just so you know, which voice is which here at the card table in the basement across from me is the one and only other guy, or as we call him here, colloquially, OG. Oh, that was a $15 word. Bam. I can't even say that. I know I, I can spell it and I can see it in my mind, but it's like... <laughs> With my limited yeah. vocabulary, I found a way to get it done. You know what nice else job. I found a way to get done, even though my fingers don't really work all that great, but, you know, being the old guy on the show? <laughs> I okay. still had to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, and it's super easy, OG. You know why? Because I know that I can save 450 bucks when I go there by shopping not just my checking account and my savings account, you know, those things that I use every day, but also debt products. I mean, it's funny. You and I talk to people about having a debt strategy. Average person out there has no debt strategy. They just kind of pay the bills. I like debt. My strategy is to get lots of it. <laughs> It's it's like that commercial, that guy on the mower that I reference every oh, fourth show. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Allstate guy. Oh, yeah. Mayhem. Sorry, Robert. Oops. $5 doesn't buy my undivided attention. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money to shop all your financial products. Over 92% of the financial products that are out there. And the place that Magnify Money calls number one when it comes to student loan refinancing and personal loans, you head on out to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's spelled S-O-F-I. And when you head on out there, OG, it's a really nice ride. You know why? Because they throw in $100. You not only get to go there, but you get 100 bucks. If you 100 bucks is like one of those things that, you know, you go to the bank and you take some money out and you get 20s and those spend real easy. But if you get a $100 bill, it ain't happening. That just sits in your wallet for like months because you're like, I don't right. want to break that. It's a special occasion. Like if I need a Snickers, I got to wait for yeah. that. Right. Yeah. If you put, you go, well, it says the machine doesn't give change, but maybe it will this time. Or if it's a big day on the Powerball, you know, I got to save it for that special occasion. I don't want to break it. Kino at the bar. <laughs> Man, we are. We're, we're a train wreck. Alexander is going to be writing me from SoFi going, maybe we need to talk about... Yeah, uh, but script, fellas, script. Yes. So if you refinance your student loans or take out a personal loan, you get a hundred bucks using our link, stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. You'll find they have many options to serve you like flexible loan terms, extremely competitive interest rates. Better yet, they work with members, not just customers. People who do business with SoFi know that they're a different type of company. They'll help you find a new job, invite you to networking events, and roll out a range of services you're not going to find at banks. So whether you're buying a new house, hoping to refinance your existing one, consolidate the student loans, or get your personal debt under control, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. We're heading to a fantastic show today because Catherine Minshew and Alex Kavakalis, have you been to themuse.com? It's an amazing site. Just my probably it sounds like someplace I would go. My favorite site about work. These two women have really rocked it, and I got to tell you, I don't say this lightly. We obviously is that, a, is that another? That's a book that they wrote that you're showing me. Yes, I'm sorry. Is there only one copy of it? I I think <laughs> I think there. Well, you know what? This is so the copy that they send us because the book is only out this week. You know, uh, the thing about it is this is like a copy that still has mistakes in it and no pictures and. So anyway, you need, you need pictures. That's why I need pictures and 
cartoons. I can only read the books with like the drawings that explain the words. Right. Like see Dick run. You need that one. Whoa. <laughs> Gosh. I haven't talked to you in a couple of days and all of a sudden I'm getting insults thrown at me. Plus I don't even like to run. So how about that? Move along people. Nothing to see here. Anyhow, oh my goodness. So, so they don't have any of that in there. So I didn't ask them to send you one, but this is, this is a book that is my favorite book about, and I don't say that lightly. It's my favorite book about work. So I'm excited that they're coming to give us some lessons on it. Uh, but we got headlines. We got, man, like Doug said, it's a party here in the basement. So let's get a roll. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Did I just lead with get her rolling? Maybe. Maybe. What's wrong with that? It's kind of like get her done. It is. Did, did you say get like G-E-T or did you say G-I-T? I think I only met it halfway. I think I said get her done, which isn't correct. Okay. Yeah. Our redneck uh, fans would say you're you're not really doing it justice yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. You are not 100% Texarkana. No. You're about 70%. I'm, I'm on my way though, baby. Every day I'm here, I get a little more. Uh, our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net. That's the National Association of Plan Advisors. It's those people who manage 401k plans and retirement plans, uh, pension plans. They read this site. This is from uh, Nevin Adams. World's largest asset manager slapped with a proprietary fund suit. We've talked a lot, OG, about these companies that have 401ks offering a lot of their own home cooking inside the 401k and how employees are rebelling. Another one just happened. Another investment manager has been sued by one of its own 401k plan participants for, quote, corporate self-dealing at the expense of a company's own retirement plan, Mr. Adams writes. He says the most recent class action suit was filed in a federal district court in California by former BlackRock employee Charles Bardet. BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset manager with $5.1 trillion with a T, in assets under management has approximately 1.56 billion in assets and approximately 9,700 participants in its 401k plan. How bad is it when you're an asset manager and it's not somebody else's 401k, it's your own 401k plan that they're ripping? Isn't BlackRock the creator of iShares? So what's in the plan that they don't like? The suit notes that almost all the fund options offered to BlackRock employees and participants are funds affiliated with BlackRock, Inc., and that, quote, as a result of the fiduciary defendant's disloyal and imprudent monitoring, several BlackRock proprietary funds that would have been removed by a prudent and loyal fiduciary remained in the plan. The suit alleges that, quote, participants were subjected to higher hidden fees through excessive fund layering, where one BlackRock fund invests in a rabbit hole of other BlackRock funds. The plaintiff alleged that, quote, in this layering scheme, each BlackRock fund charges additional fees to employee investors, and those unnecessary layers of fees cannibalize the returns of the employee, end quote. So this guy is saying that there's stuff in there that's not good for you. It sounds like they have target date funds. Should we also sue all the donut manufacturers? Because donuts aren't really good for you either. And but, hold on. A prudent, a pru- if we should sue all the physicians in the world right now, because yeah. if, if the physicians were, you know, doing their job, then they would shut down all these donut factories because donuts are bad for you. No, but that's like saying that you, you're chained inside a Krispy Kreme and it's all you're given to eat. 
But that's not what he says. He, he, he didn't say, say that's that. all you're given to eat. He said that some are of what you're given to eat is that. So uh, pick the other said, ones. He said almost all of the fund options offered to BlackRock employees are affiliated with BlackRock. Almost what? all. Well, the suit, so what? BlackRock creates iShares. They're an index fund company for crying out loud. The suit notes that in total, 21 of the BlackRock proprietary funds offered employees through the plan funnel, the employees' retirement assets into BlackRock funds that charge additional fees, which it claims are not reported in the expense ratio, thereby eroding the participant returns. All right. So if there is improper disclosure, right, if they're charging you two, but they tell you they charge you one, that's baloney. If, but if they say, here's 40 things, there's these 20 that do this, and here's the other 20 that do this, how do, how do, you, how do you get ticked off if you go, well, but these 20 I don't like? You should take those 20 out. It's like, well, don't pick them. But here's you where don't the, have, you're not forced into it. Here's where the fiduciary rules come into play, though, I think, which is would a fiduciary have gotten rid of some of these some of these funds? He's talking about the life path funds. I'm, I'm reading down here at the bottom of the article, yeah, target which, date funds, which are their target date funds. And we've talked about because people always write to us saying, why do you get so upset about target date funds? Vanguard's got great target date funds. Target date funds aren't mostly built like Vanguard's target date funds. And in fact, in this lawsuit, it says not only does the suit contend that the life path funds underperform the Vanguard target date funds by approximately there eight, we go by a, right by approximately eight point five percent on average for the period between December thirty first two thousand ten and December thirty first two thousand fifteen. After they can't be comparing apples to apples at that point. After taking into account the compounding of returns realized every year and underperform the Dow Jones target date indices by almost twenty percent during that period. So he's saying these are underperformers. So these things lost 40% a year, underperformed by 20%? No, by almost 20% during the period. For cumulatively. The, yeah, cumulatively. Yes. 8.5%. I bet you they're cherry picking the data. There's an interesting, this this stuff, I'm getting tired of hearing all this, you know, lawsuit stuff about these things like protect me from myself. At the end of the day, you have to review what options you have available for your own you know, for your own plan. And if you choose to use the target date funds, you can't be pissed off that they suck later, right? Like you're choosing to put your money there. If, you're, if your 401k only has target date funds, I guess you're screwed, right? But I have, ne- I have not, have you ever seen a 401k, all the list of the options that are only target date funds and nothing else? Well, here's the thing. The number one is, is that I don't know. I don't know what's in the BlackRock 401k, but what I do know is that I've got two things going on here. I've got the fiduciary rules, but I also have, you work for an asset management company. So as an example, we are in the middle of, of as you know, hiring somebody to our team, right? We're in the middle of that right now. The very first thing we talk about is if you're going to be on the team, you got to listen to the show. Unfortunately, I know that's horrible that we, we're going to demand that. Wait, I, wait, hold on. Back the truck up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to check my employment contract and partnership agreement, but I don't remember signing anything that says anything about having to listen to this. I got to listen to this drivel. I live it. <laughs> right. But, but so if you're going to work for BlackRock, shouldn't you invest in BlackRock stuff? I don't think that you have to be forced to do it, but uh, that, and that's not my point. My point here is not that they're good or bad. My point is, is that 
you've got a free choice. You can't but you legislate someone to not put in the crappy option. But you don't have a free choice because the way IRA rules work for most people is that I can't get a deduction on that IRA if I've got a 401k. And if my- no, no, I'm saying, I, I bet, again, we're just spitballing here and we could look right. it up on Brightscope, which is a great company, by the way, if you've never looked at Brightscope before, you type in your 401k plan, it gives you the good, bad and ugly about it. But so Brightscope, you, we could look it up and see what are the fund options in the BlackRock plan. Yeah. And I bet that there's not just the 21 target date funds, which I agree suck, which I agree shouldn't exist, which I agree are laden in fees. But- the other half. But you're saying there's another way. There's other stuff, <laughs> you know. And so now I, I, I'm i going to get sued because I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm going to get sued because I have all of this suite of tools and some of them you don't care for. It's like you go to Ace Hardware to go pick up a hammer and you're like, what are all these weed whips doing here? That's baloney. These are the crappiest weed whips in the world. It's like, well, do you need a weed whip right now? No. Well, then mind your own business. Ah, but those suck. Get them away okay. from me. I can't see <laughs> you. Came here for a hammer. I Go can't get a see hammer. Him. Yeah. Nice try. And our second headline comes to us from CNBC. This was written by Darla Mercado. It says, "If you cashed out on stocks in 2016, beware of this tax trap. If you haven't filed your taxes yet, you may know that it's a little late. That was yesterday." But you know what we're going to work on next year's taxes? Brian Barnes from M1 Finance joins us to help us with taxes. Welcome back to the basement, man. Yeah, thanks. I always love it how people are just walking by the basement when I'm talking about stuff that they can help me with. How did how did you know we were talking about this? You know, I figured it's that time of year. It was only expected that you would be. Well, how important is it, Brian, for us to minimize taxes in the portfolio? It's definitely important, but let's not get our, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's not the most important thing. Don't let taxes dictate your strategy. The, the biggest thing to notice is you only pay taxes on your gains. And the worst that's going to happen is you're going to pay at your normal, ordinary income rate. And so nobody ever complained about additional income. So, you know, you, you should always be trying to maximize your gains rather than minimizing your taxes. Have you guys seen that already at M1 where you've got people saying, hey, uh, hey, how come you're not minimizing the taxes more? Or, um, You know, we get it from time to time. I think that, you know, all things being equal, we try to minimize taxes as much as possible, that every dollar that you don't pay in taxes is another dollar in your account that's earning more and compounding. So we we do our best to minimize taxes for as long as possible. Yeah, that's it. I want to get into this because you guys and other firms are, are doing that. But before we get to that, what are some strategies people can use, Brian, to make their tax bill a little smaller for 2017's taxes a year from now? Yeah, for sure. So I think the the biggest one is using a tax deferred account. So that's your 401k or your IRA. They have limits on these for a reason. If, you know, they didn't have limits, everyone would put all of their money in here, you know, compound tax free. Pushing as much money in that as possible will only serve to benefit you. Not just you guys. I think there's some other firms doing similar things, but you guys are automating some processes to make the tax bill a little less. Tell me what you're doing at M1. Yeah, for sure. So when you sell a security, you know, what you want to do is sell securities that come at a loss first. So you can book those, carry them forward and reduce your tax bill. And then if you're booking a gain, you want to first book the long-term gains because it's a lower tax rate than short-term gains. And so all of that at M1 happens automatically without the, the user having to do anything. So you're just going in and you're picking the exact lot instead of doing it like first in, first out. Exactly. Yeah, cool. And for people that don't know what you guys do, Brian, we should we should just say that since you're here helping us. Tell us a little bit about M1. Yes. So M1 is a online brokerage. We allow you to create, organize, and then automate an investment portfolio. We have a 
web, iOS, and Android platform. It's very simple, very intuitive, and low cost. Awesome. And we'll have a link to M1 and also to this article from cnbc.com and our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Brian Barnes, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I can't figure out how you hear somebody coming down to the basement that we finally get to talk to them together and you get up to go. Dude, to the I had to take that call. What, what are you doing? Brian it Barnes. Def- you didn't tell me who was coming. I just, I, I, I kind of waved at you with my phone. I was like, I got to take this. And you kind of, you kind of waved and I didn't, I guess that wave meant no. And you're killing and I thought me. it meant okay. Just Sorry. absolutely killing me. Did you I, tell him hi for me anyway? Well, I no. Why didn't you have a chance to do that? I thought you would come at any point. I thought you'd come back, but I think the lesson there, OG from Brian, I'll do this one. Cause you have no idea what Brian talked about, but you know, taxes are a big deal, but don't let, you know, I like this. He talked a lot about taxes, but don't let taxes wag the dog. Yeah. You want to make money. The dog, right? Yeah. 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 Make money first, but then also deal with taxes and do it in a smart way. Like they're talking about, and like you talk about with your clients. And then uh, second 401k lawsuits. It's up to you. I think to do your homework, OG, regardless of how, how good or bad your 401k is. And a little bit of fees, right? The difference. That's not the difference why you're going to retire. It's because you're putting in 3%. You should be putting in 15. I'm so excited to talk to these two women, OG. Catherine Minshew and Alex Kavakalis are the founder and CEO and founder and COO of themuse.com, probably the hottest site for workplace discussions on the internet, whether you're looking for a job or you have one and you just want to do a better job at work or keep doing a good job. Too bad these women aren't qualified. Listen to this. Catherine spoken at MIT and Harvard, appeared on the Today Show and CNN, contributes on career and entrepreneurship to the Wall Street Journal and this little publication called the Harvard Business Review named a Forbes 30 under 30 in media and Inc.'s 15 women to watch in tech. Before founding the Muse, she worked on vaccines in Rwanda and Malawi with the Clinton Health Access Initiative and was previously at uh, McKinsey. What was that all? Yeah, nothing going on there. But let's uh, couple her with her COO, Alex Kavakalis, makes things work at the Muse. She's spoken at WNYC at South by Southwest, named one of Inc.'s 15 women to watch in tech and Time's 140 best Twitter feeds of 2014, frequent keynote on productivity and entrepreneurship. She was a management consultant at McKinsey & Company. I believe that's where they met. Graduated from this little no-name school called Yale University and is an alumna of this little project called Y Combinator. Haven't heard of that either. (laughs) Two women clearly with nothing going on know nothing about the new rules of work, which is their new book, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. Let's get some advice for our careers right now. I'm going to walk over to my dad shortwave and say hello to Catherine Minshew and Alex Kavakalis from themuse.com. And Alex and Catherine, how are you ladies? We're doing great. It's so good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, I'm so glad you could include us on the book tour. How great is it, by the way, seeing your names in print on a book like this? Oh my gosh, it is so, it's very surreal and, and really fun, to be honest. Yeah. Walking into a Barnes & Noble and seeing your name on a book on the table, is like, it's a life, life-changing moment. <laughs> Well, and it's it's a great book to read because it, it seems like a culmination of everything that you do at the Muse. Let's start this. You know, you talk about how the world of work has changed 
for everyone, but how has it changed for the two of you personally? Alex, why don't we start with you? How has the world of work changed for you in the past 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. I think 10 years ago, I thought of the work as being a much more linear thing. I grew up in France originally. It's very much a place where you study something in high school, you specialize, then you go to college for that same thing and you stay in that career. Um, In that way, France is a little behind the US in terms of sort of moving between industries. And I was sort of set on a path. And the last 10 years have been a really great awakening, both for me, but seeing this in the entire workforce has been really energizing in terms of people being able to take their passions and their skills and apply it in many different ways. I think that's both a lot of opportunity, which is exciting, but also it creates a lot of anxiety to figure out what the next step is. And the new rules of work is really us trying to help people through that journey. Yeah, I bet it's like you have so many options, you're just frozen. You don't know what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Catherine, how about for you? Yeah, I would echo a lot of what Alex has said. I mean, one of the stories that we tell in the beginning of the book is that when I grew up, I was convinced I wanted to work for the Foreign Service. I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched that show Alias that was on television uh, about, I don't know, 10 to 15 years ago. But I remember watching Sydney Bristow from Alias and thinking that was the life I wanted. She was smart. She was a badass. She spoke a bunch of languages. And anyway, you know, it's so funny how people choose what career paths they follow. And I think for me, having, having, come from a place where I had a lot of certainty about the career path I wanted to then have a chance to explore that path and realize that the vision I had in my mind of being a foreign service officer or a CIA agent, you know, it, it didn't correspond with the reality of that role. And I love that there are a lot of people who, who find that role is exactly what they want to do. But for me, it sort of set me into this path of saying, well, what do I actually want? And so I love that it's becoming easier than ever before to explore new career paths. I love that um, maintaining your network over time is easier, that people have all of these new avenues to learn skills and, and develop themselves and really chart their own course, which is what our book is all about. You know what I love best about that story, Catherine, when I read it in the book was that I love the fact that it's okay to be wrong. Like I I felt like originally you felt like, oh my God, I got my career wrong, but everything that you learned there still informed what you did today. It's like, it's not wrong. It all informs this career path that's so just you. Exactly. And I think there's there's really two points that I want to pull out to what you just said. One is that every every experience you have teaches you skills. And at the end of the day, finding the right career path is about developing those skills, acquiring those skills, and then putting them to use. And which is why I think it's gotten easier to change careers than it was in the past. And the second is about that idea of being wrong. I mean, when you really think about it, the the decision about what you're gonna spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week doing. That's one of the most important um, decisions that, that many people face. And why wouldn't you take the time to get it right? And it's funny, you know, we've sort of moved away from this idea that the first person you date in high school is the one you're supposed to marry. <laughs> why shouldn't we accept that, you know, the first job that you have may or may not end up being that lifelong path. And that's okay. In fact, you probably should try a few different career paths or a few different jobs to really figure out what do you love? What satisfies you? What makes you get up in the morning and say, I've got the career that I worked for and I'm really excited about it. That's such a great analogy. If I'd stay with my first job, I would own that second shift at McDonald's now. (laughs) I was going to say, I, um, I was a lifeguard and then a waitress. So pretty happy that I got a chance to try a bunch of things before I settled down. But it is funny. And and this is, this is a little bit away from the book, but you know, all of those things, I look back based on what you're saying, and all those things did inform me. I mean, I had a horrible job uh, working out in cornfields, and I just learned that even though working smarter beats working harder, sometimes working harder is what pays the bills. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The other thing I think is really interesting about all these, you know, sort of phases people go through when you're figuring this out is I think there's this belief that some people have, which is hard, which is that every job and every day in your job should be great. And even the best job has its ups and downs. And I think there's actually something really um, helpful <laughs> and to, to know personally, and, and it just feels a lot less alone to say, you know what, if I'm having a tough day, everyone has tough days. The people who have the job I aspire to had tough jobs, tough bosses. They may have been laid off. They've all been through this. It's not just, you know, sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's just not realistic. Is that a hard part of this idea of following your passion? Because you hear, you know, you should follow your passion, right? But then you get down that road a little bit and every job has parts that just absolutely suck. Absolutely. And this is Catherine. I think we, what we really tried to hit on both in, in the book as well as on the muse is this sense of balancing inspiration and reality. So the right job should inspire you some days. It should um, help you look forward to the future and think about, um, again, you know, what's that next step? But at the same time, you've got to accept the reality that work can be tough and that's okay. As Alex said, Every single job has hard days. And so I think accepting that and understanding that just because you hit a rut or just because you have a challenge doesn't mean you're necessarily in the wrong career path. It might, but it also might be simply a sign that, you know, that, that life happens or that you need to work on something or to improve a relationship. And so we built the book around this idea of, yes, how do you find the right path, but how do you also equip yourself with the skills, the tactics, the strategies you need to make the job you're in right now the best it can possibly be for you as well. Yeah, I like this idea of each chapter in the book starts off with what the old rule was and what the new rule is. And a lot of what we talked about so far is the first new rule of the book. And I guess to paraphrase, instead of going from degree to work in that field, you examine all your experiences to plow a new path. Would you say that that's a good paraphrasing of rule number one? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the the biggest thing is you're taking all these disparate pieces and trying to figure out how they fit together. And you could imagine two people with the exact same jobs and internships and degrees that take two completely different paths based on the same set of information. So I think that it's such a personal journey. And that's the most important thing. It should be about you, not what will make your parents proud, not what you're roommate thinks would be cool. You know, I think startups right now, for example, are great. It's a great example of of an industry that people think is cool, but it's not for everyone. And so I think doing your homework, doing your research, thinking about what matters to you personally is how you really end up satisfied and sooner rather than later. Even if you're satisfied with your career right now, at some point you might not be. And I think that it's important to always examine where you are. I could not agree more. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think that, um, again, going back to your original question about how the world of work is changing, I think one of those big changes is that the career that is right for you at one age is not necessarily going to be right for you five or 10 years later. And again, that's okay. In fact, that's kind of an exciting opportunity because as humans, most of us like learning new things and, um, you know, and, and having experiences that change over time. So I often encourage people, you know, you may have had a decade run in a career that you loved, but if you start to lose that passion for it, if you start to feel your call towards other things, um, yes, you know, it doesn't mean you necessarily want to quit and and run out and do something else immediately, but it's okay to ask yourself, is it temporary things about the job that I should work on or that I should change? Or perhaps am I at a point where I'm looking for something fundamentally different out of my professional life? And that's what we designed the first section of the book to do, really help you look at your values, look at what matters to you, and then align your career path with that. I think on that note, Alex, I think you were the one that was talking about how people freeze because you've got so many different things that you can look at. Your second new rule in the book where it used to be 
finance ran and your family or someone close to you was in that business, that's what you do, right? If my dad was in finance, then I'm in finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now with all the information out there, like at the Muse or the Bureau of Labor Statistics, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, there's tons of ways to find out about careers. So could we start off with LinkedIn? Because I'm 48 years old and I still don't know how the hell to use LinkedIn. You are not the only one. (laughs) So LinkedIn, it's a tool like any other, and it's a useful one to get to know and add to your toolbox. I think the two most useful things for an individual are one, telling your story. So, you know, getting your picture, your bio, your resume up there so that people can find you and bring you opportunities because always nice to have things come to you. So let's say you're trying to break into the art world and no one in your family or none of your friends have any connection to the art world. Well, 10 or 20 years ago, you'd be out of luck or you'd have to show up at a museum and see if you could get someone to talk to you. Here, you can actually look people up, see if you have a mutual connection, send them a message, read what they've written online, look at what their path is. Even if they don't speak to you, you can say, hey, I also had a science major and ended up you know, wanting to be in the arts. I wonder how they got there. And so it's such a wealth of information. Is there a way there to reach out to people though? Because, you know, I don't want to sound creepy, like, hey, I've been looking at all your stuff online. And how do you approach somebody effectively? Yeah, it's a good question. You obviously don't want to go too far over the line, but I do think showing you've done some homework is actually makes it more successful. So reaching out to someone saying, hey, so-and-so, I came across your background on LinkedIn. I'm also, you know, came from a science background. I'm interested in moving into the art world and saw that you successfully made that transition. So curious to hear, you know, your, about your path and how you're enjoying XYZ Museum. Would you be willing to do a 15-minute phone call? You'd be surprised how many people say yes. And obviously not 100%, but if even half of the people write back to you and are willing to do a quick call, it gives you access to information that you would never be able to find otherwise. And I'll add, I think one of the things that can be most helpful for that strategy is making sure you're not only reaching out to people who are at the peak of their field. For example, if you reach out to someone who's the, you know, in Alex's example, the chief curator, um, they may be getting five to 10 inbound requests a week. That doesn't mean that they're not going to respond if you write a great email, but the chance of success is a little bit lower. What I find is so helpful is find those people who are, you know, five years ahead of you in their career, uh, maybe even two, three years ahead of you. Those people are not asked for their advice as often, and you have a much higher chance of getting a reply if you write a smart, personalized email. I think also, Catherine, you're probably more likely to get real advice because it just happened lately versus some truisms, you know, from somebody. Mm-hmm. Yes, is- I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's funny. I remember when I was thinking about first starting the Muse and looking to get advice from other entrepreneurs. I remember talking to someone who was so impressive. And yet when they had started their first business, it was like 1989. It was a completely different world. And so while they could give me some overall really inspirational and exciting high level thoughts, the last time they've been in my shoes and specifically in, you know, an an outsider in an industry where they didn't know a lot of people, it had just been too much time for that advice to be as relevant. And some of the best mentorship and advice that I've gotten comes from people, again, one year, three years, five years ahead, because they've just been in your shoes so recently. That's awesome. I only have two more things because I'm looking at the time and we're running out of time. But I love another idea you present early in the book, and then I want to go just take one dip into later in the book. But early in the book, you also talk about this idea of test driving career paths. And I thought that's something that always, if we're following the old rules, seems totally out off limits, right? If I'm going to pivot, I'm pivoting for good. But you talk about this idea of, speaking of dipping your toe in the water, maybe doing that. How does that work? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can think about test driving a new career. I'm a big fan of it because I think that particularly if you're not sold, if you're not certain 
that you want to make a pivot, it can be a good way to get more information. So there's a lot of different ways. And we talk about some of these strategies in the book, but just at a high level. Number one, you can have informational interviews with people in the career path of your choice. This is a little about what we were talking about a second ago, but you can sit down with people and ask, what's the best thing about your day to day? What are some of the challenges? What sort of person would love your job? What sort of person might be really frustrated by aspects of it and really get that sort of um, sort of firsthand experience? You can also look at volunteer experience experiences. Mm -hmm. So people often think of volunteering as working at a soup kitchen, which obviously is a great thing to do, but you can also volunteer to help a nonprofit or a small business in your career path of choice. For example, there's a friend of um, of Alex and I's who was trying to make a career shift into social media. She loved working on Twitter, on Instagram, et cetera, and was wondering, is, you know, is this a possible career path? She volunteered her services for a local small business and found out that she didn't actually enjoy the business of social media in the same way she thought she would. That's fantastic because now you've saved yourself the time of executing a major career pivot only to figure out it's not quite what you're looking for. I, I could go on and on. There's a lot right. of strategies in the yeah. book, but really thinking about how do I make sure or at least gather as much information. Again, it's completely okay to be wrong, but I'd rather give myself the chance to be wrong as quickly as possible. Yeah. So be I have well as informed. Most, exactly as much of my time as possible to be right. I want to make sure that I don't give people the idea that uh, the new rules of work is just about finding a job. And certainly it's not because it's also taught you talk about building your network, communication, being productive, scoring interviews, running teams. I love the idea. I love the whole chapter on meetings because you and I, all three (laughs) of us have been in so many baloney meetings that it just, those drive you crazy. But one thing I want to talk about from later in the book, ladies, is one of your rules is that the nine to five is gone, right? And now we're expected to be available all the time. And that makes people think that we should be working all the time. And when you wrote that, I find myself nodding my head, by the way. (laughs) Yes, I feel like 24-7 I have to be available for my audience. So how do you manage time so that work doesn't suck all the passion right out of you? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think one of the most important things is to really be conscious of where you're spending your time and laying out boundaries. I think what the old workforce was like, it gave you boundaries just because it had a clock in and clock out time. And then there was no way for anyone to reach you. Now it's sort of blurred. And so I think a mix of that is having really clear expectations on what success looks like for your role. And then if you know you're hitting it, it means, okay, I've done it. I've done what I need to do this week. The other is around communication. I think the biggest thing is actually just addiction to smartphones and technology in general, where I realized myself that in, you know, I would pick up my phone, go straight to my email without even missing a beat or doing it on purpose. And so thinking about how you manage alerts on a phone to make sure it's not jumping in and you get a chance to decide when you check your email, your email doesn't come and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I need some time right now. For people who are on the more extreme side, one thing I did myself is I actually did a technology curfew um, where I stopped using technology after 11 p.m. at night, which for some people sounds crazy, but for a startup founder was already an improvement (laughs) and um, cutting myself off. And it actually made me much more conscious of the fact that I was really going back to the well um, and that I was doing it without someone else putting that pressure on myself. I was putting it, I was doing it myself. And I think that's the problem a lot of people have with sort of this time management, work-life balance question is your boss isn't telling you to check your email at 11 p.m you're checking it, you reply, someone else replies, and all of a sudden everyone's on an email chain and no one's going to bed. I think that's the biggest aha of all, is if I don't participate, everything's still going to be okay. Yes, most people don't. It's not, you know, we're not saving puppies and doing heart surgery. (laughs) You know, I think most things can wait until the morning. And if there's a true emergency and you've made it really clear to people how to reach you, then you know if no one's, you know, called me on, on my home line, 
then everything's fine. Oh, yeah, we no- really we really tried to set out these boundaries and rules and also scripts so that if someone is in a situation where they feel like they're being asked again and again and again, you know, to work after hours, to exceed their own boundaries, that we also used a couple, you know, a, a couple sections of the book to really help people understand how to articulate what's important to them and to really have that, you know, that open dialogue with your boss where you can have that conversation. Well, just the idea of creating scripts, I think is another big aha because so many people think I can go into a meeting and wing it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was going to say, I I think that's one of the things for me that has been so satisfying about seeing the book come together and all of the new rules of work is that, you know, the old way of giving career advice was often just telling people, write a thank you note, uh, tell your boss what you're worth, do this thing. That's hard. It's actually a huge step. Most of the work is in translating that into how you actually do it. And so throughout the book, in every single chapter, we've included emails, scripts, conversations, so that you see exactly how it's done. Now, you should obviously put your own spin on it. You can change it. But we wanted to give you a real-life, clear-cut example of what it exactly looks like so that people feel empowered to go out um, and know exactly how these things work. Yeah, one of my favorite examples, we have... um, a email that someone sent Catherine that led to us hiring them for a role that wasn't even posted that we just printed in the book so you guys could see what we received and what worked so well. And then my other favorite is someone else we hired who did a, their cover letter included it, a GIF in it and was super personalized, was super fun. And I think when you get that advice, be a little creative and show your personality. It's really hard to know where the line is. So we like, ex- you know, including those examples so you can see exactly what that looks like. The book is called The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. I already already told the two of you my kids are getting this as graduation presents because I, I found it was- <laughs> Fantastic. It was, Thank you. <laughs> it was so applicable to where they're at right now. And, you know, I don't want them coming back home and mom doesn't want them here in the basement with us. She's already got me here. Uh, <laughs> the, the book is available everywhere. Absolutely. Pretty nationwide. Much. Nationwide, online, in bookstores. Excellent. And, and by the way, I love- your site, The Muse. And I, we could have a whole different interview about the two of you, about The Muse and how it started, and because I find that whole story fascinating, but that's for another day. But for the three people out there that have no idea what TheMuse.com is all about, could you give us a quick walkthrough? Absolutely. We wanted to build the most trusted, beloved place to navigate your career. So we built The Muse. It's a website used by uh, 50 million people every year, themuse.com, where you can get career advice, speak to a career coach, learn new skills, figure out how to navigate tough situations, find a job and see inside companies by hearing you know, videos of the offices, real life testimonials from the employees who work there, and really just helping give people every single thing they need to find the career that's right for them. And well, if you're out walking the dog or you're on your to or from work. We'll have a link on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Alex, Catherine, thanks a ton for hanging out and for all the great advice. Thank you. We had a great time. Hey there, kids. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And to piggyback off Catherine and Alex, we're all about work here in the basement. Why, when we're not recording these amazing shows, we work hard on organizing the beer over there in the corner. Sometimes we'll work at epic debates like which version of Bravo's Housewives series is the best. Oh, geez, all about Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> what a clown. Of course, Housewives of Atlanta is the best. Everyone knows that. So we're working, right? Which brings us to today's trivia question. While we never waste time here, what is the single biggest time waster in the workplace? I'll be back with the answer and maybe a push broom right after this. I'm 
so excited to have two sponsors that we really love that are super helpful to so many people. Our first is Magnify Money. Check them out at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And if you're somebody like a lot of us that didn't get an education about money in school, well, guess what? Magnify Money will not only help you compare your checking, your savings and your credit cards. They also have a graduate guide. What's a graduate guide? Well, Nick Clements, CEO of Magnify Money, told us what it's all about. Right. Well, we went out and we pulled recent college graduates who were about five years out and said, what are your biggest regrets? And some of their biggest regrets were not handling their student loans right away when they got out of school, organizing them and finding out the, the best way to pay and manage that going forward. And another was just not learning enough about about their personal finances. And so what we've done is based upon the regrets of people who graduated five years ago, we put together a checklist so that as long as you follow that list, you at least will not have the regrets, uh, the same regrets that these people have. There it is. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for you or the graduate in your life to get an education about getting their financial house in order. And if you've listened to the show before, you know I'm also excited about our second sponsor, SoFi. That's S-O-F-I. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi to check them out. And I've said in the past that you're not going to beat the interest rate on a student loan or on personal loans or mortgages outside of SoFi. However, I've also said you need a high credit score. What What is a high credit score and how does SoFi look at your credit? We asked Dan Macklin over at SoFi how it works. So there's no absolute minimum uh, that we have, but generally if you're in the 700s and above, then then you have a great chance of being approved. But credit, is, uh, credit score is not the only thing we're looking for. There's a variety of measures, but it's one of them. So even though it's not the only thing they look at, it's an important qualifier. So clean up your credit and then head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi when you're ready to get your mortgage, refinance your debt through a personal loan, or look at those student loans to get the interest rate down to something more manageable. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Welcome back to my trivia. I once read this leadership book and a chapter mentioned the benefits of power naps. I've been taking power naps upstairs on the couch for years now. I highly recommend it. I don't waste any time at work anymore. And the day just flies by. Before the break, I asked this question. What is the single biggest time waster in the workplace? If you said listening to the Stacking Benjamin show, thank you for the vote of confidence. But that's not right. The answer reading the news topped the list at an average of one hour and five minutes a day. Now back to those other two slackers because I have a performance enhancing rejuvenation period calling my name. I'm really digging this hard work stuff. See ya. Performance enhancing rejuvenation period. I like the sound. I I know I'm all about that. Sounds good. When when do we put that in the model week? Doug finally has something there. Holy moly. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline quickly and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, your family, and your time. That's why they created a high-quality, affordable-term life insurance policy. You can purchase entirely online qualified healthy applicants 
they can skip the medical exam. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and also to learn about life insurance the modern way. Great note, by the way, from our friend Brittany over at Haven Life. Somebody wrote a review of Haven Life, and it's actually it's actually a pretty funny review, and it included us, OG. Hopefully it was uh, all nice things. Yeah, listen to this. Five-star review of Haven Life over at a place called Trustpilot. James says, at first I thought this was a gimmick and later thought, what company would insure somebody without a physical? Discovered Haven Life when listening to Stacky Benjamin's podcast, so I inquired. Signed up for a policy, but not before I asked a million questions to the chat function. Agent was most helpful in giving me straight, focused answers. They helped guide me through the process and made the experience very easy and pleasant. Would recommend rates are very affordable. How about that? Great uh, for our sponsor, and thanks for mentioning us, because... When you get that back from your sponsor, that's that's fantastic. Guess we did something right so far. Yeah. Amazing moment for us. Hopefully we get this right. Uh, let's say hello to our friend Gina. Gina, say howdy. Hi, Stacking Benjamins crew. My name is Gina. I've got a quick question. I just completed the tax course that you offered so that I you could help me legally cheat on my taxes. And I pretty much made all my money back plus then some when you explained the American Opportunity Credit that allows a tax credit for tuition that was paid for a student in college. However, I just want to clarify that this is a credit that I take as the parent who paid tuition or am I wanting to allow my son to take the credit who is the college student? He earned part of his contribution to tuition was scholarship and ours was the cash. So there's my question. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the question, Gina. And glad to hear that she saved money on the course. Just one, that's the thing about these courses, about understanding taxes. We charge so little for them that if one thing makes your money back, then the rest of it hopefully explodes. With uh, that particular credit, Gina made way, way, way more than the cost of the class. And by the way, if you want more on that class and uh, we should listen to these ahead of time, because this totally sounds like we set this up and we, we didn't Gina set this up, but it's a stack forward slash taxes for the, how to legally cheat on your taxes course. And really that's just sexy for, we're going to teach you to understand the tax forms. That's all we're, we're really doing is you're going to understand what every line item means and guess what happens then. Then you go, Oh, there's an opportunity I didn't know about. So anyway, OG, let's talk about, the credit, uh, does she take it or does her son take it? It's probably best for her to take it, assuming that her income is profoundly higher than her son's. Generally speaking, her son probably, you know, he's worked a part-time job, he's in school, you know, but I think probably her, not I th- making a gazillion dollars. I think her question is, though, is she eligible to take it, even though he's the one that went to school, not her? Oh, eligibility-wise, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's easy. She's the one who who takes the credit for sure. Yep. Yeah, awesome. And she's going to save that huge bundle of money because a credit's much better than a deduction, right? I mean, anytime you can get a tax credit, you want to take that. So a deduction, long. the difference between the two of them, and I know you talked about it probably in the class, but a deduction is going to go before the tax bill. And so it's kind of, you know, uh, lowering your income that is taxed. A credit is going to lower the tax bill. So if you owe ten thousand dollars in taxes, but you get a two thousand dollar credit, boom! Now you owe eight thousand in taxes. So credits are uh, sweet. One more thing about that class, by the way, I know that uh, tax day is over as of yesterday. 
Well, except for those of us who file extensions. Well, and I want to say, though, even for that, you know, a lot of uh, understanding taxes is about setting it up ahead of time. I think people think they have to understand taxes between January 1st and April, you know, 18th this year. I don't think that's the case. I think if you understand it now, then you're doing things, you're doing activities, OG, that help set you up for a great tax day later. Well, I had a conversation with a client. We do a little bit of tax work, not a ton, but on occasion we do some tax work and um, uh, tax filing, that is. And I had a conversation with a client that uh, did some traveling for his job. He kind of had a side hustle, so to speak. And I said, well, that uh, the 1099 you got was from a company in Ohio and you live in this other state and didn't, did you have to drive for the meetings or anything like that? And he says, oh yeah, we drove all over the place. It was a small project, but we drove all over the place. I said, well, what was the mileage? Cause that's a pretty big deduction. He goes, ah, I didn't keep track of it. I'm like, uh, go back and keep track of it. Yeah. You know, write it down. It's 50 plus cents a mile for every, you know, you use, you use it. And if you, to your point, if you're thinking about it, kind of, if it's ruminating all year long, you're going to be that much more well-prepared for, you know, the middle of January, February next year when it comes to tax time, because you're going to have that stuff kind of already spinning in your head. Doug also brings down the mail and uh, love hearing this. This is a uh, mail from our friend Maggie who wrote to us uh, from clarity money. Remember when Adam Dell was on the uh, Friday show talking about the clarity money app, they have been nominated for a Webby and the Webby awards are an international award honoring excellence on the internet. People listening that work online. I think they know what the Webbies are. The company was recognized in the financial and banking services category for mobile apps. Clarity money, of course, created by uh, Adam Dell, the brother of another Dell uh, who you might or might not know. I know that that name Dell OG pretty obscure. Never heard of it. Right. Like Farmer in the Dell? Farmer that in kind the Dell. That's exactly it. Other nominees include uh, established players like Wealth Simple, which won the category last year, Found Money by Acorns, Stash Invest, and N26. We've had Acorns on. We haven't had the others. we got to try to have these other apps on the show soon. But Clarity Money has now analyzed over $10 billion in transactions for customers and has saved on average $300 per person to, who's taken advantage of Clarity Money subscription canceling service. So good stuff there. Congratulations to our friends over at Clarity. Love seeing when somebody comes on the show, that's like a good luck charm. You know, I'm sure the whole reason Clarity Money got this uh, Webby nomination OG was because of the fact that they were on the Stacky Benjamin show. It's likely that had something to do with it. (laughs) Something or close to nothing, right? Uh, Our second letter today comes to us from Ben. Ben says, I'm well aware of the research and common thinking on the performance of actively managed funds versus index funds. You can't beat the market over the long term, keep fees down, et cetera. But all the research I've read has been done on developed markets. I'd like to know your thoughts on this same question in emerging markets. My thinking is these markets are less efficient for a number of reasons, so I prefer to have someone picking stocks over investing in the broad market. Have you seen any studies on this topic? Thanks. Great show. Ben. Great question on emerging markets. Awesome. Yeah, I love this one. So to be clear, I don't think that the studies suggest that you can't beat the market over time. The studies suggest that it's impossible to pick the person who's going to do it. That's going to do it over time. So there are people who do beat the market. Right. We just can't identify those people in advance. Therefore, why should you try to play the game? Right. So there are definitely people in less efficient markets. Right. So what he was saying here in less efficient 
areas, emerging markets, smaller companies, even international, right? That's kind of how Sir uh, Templeton got started in his kind of international side was we've got people on the ground. If you remember the ads from Franklin Templeton years ago, it was we've got people in Singapore. We've got people in India. We've got people in China. That's how we're going to make better investment choices. I think you've got a chance of out, having a better chance of outperforming, but the same science applies. You can't pick that person in advance based on what they've done in the past. So even if you say, well, there's ABC fund and this fund manager, Bob Jones, and he's beaten the index, I'm using air quotes, he's, he's beaten the emerging market index 10 years in a row. Does that mean he's going to do it next year? Can you use that as any sort of guide for, for picking investments in the future? I don't think so. And, and I would say, let me add just one more thing here quick before you either take the exact opposite approach or say, I agree with you, OG. The other thing that you'll find is active management in less developed areas or smaller niches, so to speak, emerging market, small cap, whatever, is going to cost more too. A so lot, that yes. bogey, the bogey of clearing that index plus cost is much higher because instead of it being, you know, 0.5% for an active manager who's doing large cap value in the U.S., it might be 1.5 or 1.6 for international emerging market small cap. And part of that is based on what Sir John Templeton, you know, having boots on the ground costs yeah. money. You, you got to have, have people there. You have offices in other countries. That's just going to cost money. You know, my take on this is that we've talked to people like uh, Jamie Wise at Buzz Indexes and Phil Back uh, at ACSI. You know, we talked to them about the future of actively managed funds. I think with those inefficiencies that Ben's talking about, I think it's going to be ripe for that type of thing where they're going to go in there with algorithms, OG, instead of boots on the ground. They're going to take an algorithm, they're going to take a position, and they're going to work those inefficiencies, and they'll be able to do it with computers, I think, a lot more aggressively. And I think even with, with possibly a lot less risk than we're seeing now, I think that area is ripe for that type of investing. Well, you could be right on that. And with the extra costs that are involved in, let's say he used emerging markets as an example here, but with the extra costs, I often wonder, is that just an excuse these days? You know, with as, as inexpensive as air travel is, relatively speaking, you know, as inexpensive as, as, you know, telecommuting and Skype and all that sort of stuff, does it really justify that three, four X cost of investing, you know, here locally, perhaps? Or is that just since that's the bar that's been set, then nobody wants to break the buck, so to speak. And that's where the inefficiency comes in, right? Where you get yeah. somebody like a Jamie or a Phil that goes, hey, here's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I would much rather stick to the science of investing, which is how we do it, which is to say there are certain areas that we know have a historical likelihood of providing a better investment experience for clients and those things being, you know, lower price to book companies and that and, and that transcends market. So you can take those pieces of of expected returns and apply those to emerging markets and apply those to international, apply those to U.S., and have a similar experience of quote unquote doing as well or quote unquote beating the market. Although that's not really a goal anyway. It's, you know, that's a whole subject, separate <laughs> subject, the whole like beat the market thing. But, but I would much rather apply things that have a, a statistical likelihood of success. So your short answer, since we went around and around on this is that, 
yes, Ben has a point that they're less efficient, but you're saying sticking with index is, is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You're looking at me like, yeah, but it's a lot more complicated than that. Well, you know. But yeah, caveats that we already just talked about. Yeah, asterisk, 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 asterisk. This but whole, no, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. This whole show has asterisks after it every single yeah. episode. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. And all sorts of other things. But uh, but no, that's a great question. I love it. Nice uh, question. Love me some emerging market. Hey, too late to the party now. Should have been rebalanced into that stuff. I don't know. First of the year. Thanks for the questions. If you've got a question for the show, uh, the best way is the Haven Lifeline. We have uh, three people in queue as we record this. So you could be number four up there. I've probably got uh, 14 or 15 in the letters queue, but uh, you can certainly send me a letter. I'll give you the link for the Haven Lifeline first, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That's how to get on the Haven Lifeline. And then to send us a letter, joe at stackingbenjamins.com. And uh, for either one of those, by the way, it's really easy. Just head to the Stacking Benjamins homepage, stackingbenjamins.com. You'll see on the top, uh, ask us a question. Click on that link and you'll see the Haven Lifeline up front. We even put the Haven Lifeline up front. It's just telling you. Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge. Hey. It's so easy. Click yeah. the button, yep. talk into your computer, hit submit. Or, or go the or go the other way by sending us a letter. Also, if you're looking for good financial planning in your corner, certainly if you've got these more general questions, send those to the show. But if you're like, you know, I need great help in my corner, want to see how OG works, uh, he's taking clients. So head to stackybenjamins.com, letter O, letter G, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. That'll send you to a calendar for an initial meet me session with OG to talk about uh, what it takes getting him in your corner for your financial planning needs. That's going to do it for the show, man. Well, I know Doug's going to say this, but thanks again to Catherine and Alex for coming down and talking about work. You know, there's so much talk in the media about how many people hate their jobs. And I think when you focus, OG, on loving your job and you kind of go on the attack, it doesn't make the job better. It makes your life better because you spend so much time focused on that. You know, and everybody says to separate who you are from what you do. And I totally agree with that what you do still is a big part of how you make your day. So why sure, not? Why, absolutely. Yeah. Why not make it fun? So for that reason, I think the new rules of work, uh, much, much needed. Thanks also to everybody who's left us a review. Some people have been kind enough to leave us a review. Actually 345 of you on iTunes have been kind enough to leave us a review. Here's a couple of reviews going on mom's fridge. This one's from Moam 71. Awesome podcast. Five stars. Really enjoy listening to Stacky Benjamins. Oh, geez. Amazing. And Joe's good too. <laughs> I'm the add-on. I think we can put that one uh, top of the fridge. Yeah, Highlight a certain section there. Just what you need is uh, your ego boosted because... I do sometimes. Lord knows it's not uh, high enough. All right, Doug, tell us what should we have learned on this year podcast today? So what did we learn today? First, looking for a job or hoping to perform better in your current role? Catherine and Alex from TheMuse.com nailed it. Keep that saw sharp. Network. Hone those skills. Second, remember one line from Brian Barnes at M1 Finance. Worried about taxes? You should be. But more important is to focus on making more money. We all want Bill Gates' tax bill, don't we? But the big lesson? Don't get into a discussion with OG about the housewife show on Bravo. That dude defends his ground. 
A big thank you to Catherine Minshew and Alex Cavalacos. You'll find a link to their site, themuse.com, at our show notes on stackingbenjamins.com, as well as a link to their book, The New Rules of Work. Thanks also to Brian Barnes from M1 Finance for stopping by. For more about M1 Finance, head to m1finance.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'll share some sage words Joe's mom shared with me about work. She said, Doug, always give 100%. That's why I give 25% on Monday, up it to 30% on Tuesday, round it down on Wednesday to 20%, slice up another 15% for Thursday, so on Friday, I can coast in with only 10%. Joe's mom's a genius. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show where if you hate the signal noise ratio already, you're going to hate it even more because there is no signal. It's all noise. We often talk in the after show, if you're here for financial stuff, we often talk about stuff that has nothing to do with finance um, because we used to do it in the show and we actually wanted the signal to noise ratio to be a little higher there. But uh, let's, let's talk about something that OG and I are both passionate about, movies. I saw this movie that uh, OG was a box office bomb starring Scarlett Johansson. I saw me some Ghost in the Shell. You are the first of your kind, but you're not invulnerable. Maybe next time you can design me better. Everyone around me, they feel connected to something. Connected to something I'm not. What are you? You were dying. We saved you. And now you save others. So Scarlett Johansson plays the role of a woman who has, when she wakes up, she's been told that she uh, she passed away, but they brought her back and they brought her brain and put it inside of a robot body, like a superhuman body. And now, uh, like they said, now she uh, helps save other people. She's part of this special task force. It's set in the far future. People get enhancements all the time. Uh, not the 
enhancements you see on television, but uh, but they get chips. Like one guy during the film gets chips where he has better eyes. People get chips where they can experience things better. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is is the biggest end of that where everything is enhanced except her brain. She's the product of a security corporation that works with the government to defend people. She's the newest model. Uh, this was a huge anime series. I didn't know anything about it. There was an animated film that apparently was huge with anime fans. It isn't that I didn't like or don't like anime. My, my, I, I, I just don't have enough time to be everything to everybody. I'm sure I would completely get into it. This film, when it opened at the box office, just died. Absolutely died. And what's sad is, OG, I really enjoyed it. It's slow. And I think you have to enjoy sci-fi, but if you really enjoy science fiction and you like these uh, movies about people discovering who they are, maybe she's not being told the truth. She's definitely not being told the truth at the start about who she is and what her background is. And she's on this quest. I like character development. I like characters learning about themselves and changing because of what they learn. Sometimes not changing the right way at first and going in the wrong direction. I think there's a lot that uh, there's a lot here. I, I really, I thought Ghost in the Shell was really good, but I think I've got those two caveats. Got to like sci-fi. Got to be, if you're somebody that just loves fast-paced movies, you know, Fast and the Furious is out right now. Uh, you like the fast-paced uh, uh, movie? Yeah, this isn't going to be it. Movie movie does take its time getting where it's going, but for me, it was a nice slow burn, really a ride that I like. So Ghost in the Shell, uh, qualified thumb up from Joe. And I wanted to, we thought about not talking about that movie, but I often like reviewing films that I think people might miss because, you know, it doesn't get great box office. So in this film, just if you if you read online, this film did nothing. It, it, it came out, rolled over, nobody went and saw it, which I think is, uh, is kind of sad. So that's that, OG. You've got some other stuff for us, though, some quick stuff. Oh, um, yeah, nothing cool. Nothing cool. Just uh, Oh, we do talk about one thing. So we talked about our joke. Oh, the jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The jokes. Gosh darn. So I've got no jokes to feed you. I haven't gotten one. Because I'm very stoic, apparently. Nobody can make me laugh. Hold on. So going back to this, I heard a long time ago on Chicago Radio, WMVP in particular, the show is called Johnny in the Morning, this uh, funny, funny, funny bit called uh, Crack Me Up. And people submitted jokes and then they tried to crack Johnny up with the jokes. And the one that got him was just an absolutely horrible joke. But we're going to try to make each other laugh using yep. your jokes. And you submit jokes to OG or submit jokes to me to make each other laugh. Once again, more Don't sing- send the same, same joke. Send one to me, one to Joe. Another- I have five of them so far. But I need like, You've I got think f- we need like what, 10 hold, or 15. Hold, You've got five. I've got zero. So what does that, what does that say? What that says people is people are going for the win is what they're You doing. think it's easier to crack me up than it is to crack OG up, which, okay, we're going to stack the deck a little bit. The first three people that send jokes to me to try to crack up OG are getting a Stacky Benjamin's t-shirt. Let's do that. Oh, huh? Up, 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 first, right. first three people to do that. But but I only have, so, so here, here's Joe at stackingbenjamins.com or OG at stackingbenjamins.com. That's right. email. And the subject line, joke. And then put the text in the uh, yeah, so we know so we can sort it pretty exactly. easily. And I've got, like I said, I think I've got five or six of them so far. We need like ten or fifteen each to be able to because we got to go rapid fire, right? We just can't tell one joke because you got to, you know, boom, 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 and then boom, he laughs. Yeah, that's how Johnny. Or in Joe's case, laugh, 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 laugh. 
That's how Johnny got caught. There was a huge laugher. I was, I was crying as I'm driving down the road. I think I actually, and people say this all the time, uh, and I, I never do. I actually had to pull my car over just because I couldn't keep my eyes open because I was laughing so hard. And he, and he didn't laugh on that joke. He laughed on the next joke, which was absolutely a groaner. Thing. In looking at these five, I think that there's three of them that I think you'll laugh at already. All right, let's uh, let's do it, though, guys. I'm, I'm really excited about this. So, Joe at StackyBenjamins.com, if you want me to crack up OG, or OG at StackyBenjamins.com. Put- well, Stackers, this episode is over, but you know what? Your homework has just begun, and it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. And partnering with the right organizations is a huge part of your success. Well, let me tell you, becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Now, not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Begin, stackers, with your debt strategy. Decide what the best terms are and conditions for the debt that you want to take, and then decide on the products. And with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable as you work your way through life. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loans subject to approval.